Hello, and welcome to our next episode on the Book of Romans. Today we will wrap up chapter 11. In the last episode, we worked through the first 16 verses of this chapter where we saw Paul's explanation for how God did not reject Israel, but rather chose or elected some who did reject him for salvation and hardened the hearts of the others so that the gospel would be proclaimed to the Gentiles. Uh, And through this proclamation of the good news, To those who were not Jewish, it would in turn make those who were Jewish jealous, and some of them would soften their hearts and see Jesus for who he really is. But now as we continue through chapter 11, we get to some verses that are kind of confusing and seemingly unclear. Uh, Paul starts talking about grafting branches and olive trees and natural branches, and so... Uh, what I want to do is what we've always done in these episodes. I want to walk through the text verse by verse and let God's word speak for itself. This passage in particular can be confusing, uh, which is why you rarely see preachers teach on Romans 11. Uh, We like Romans 8, 9, and 10, and we really like Romans 12. But how often have you heard any messages on Romans 11, especially the latter half of Romans 11? It's been pretty rare in my case, at least. So let's rectify that by sitting with God's word and see what his Holy Spirit reveals for us. So let's pick up at verse 17, and we will read through verse 24. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? All right, what is Paul talking about? Uh, Let's dig into these verses. Like I said, as we were reading through this, you can probably start to identify all these different verses or terms or phrases that people could use to argue a lot of different theological views. And so to avoid doing that, we, we need to keep this passage in its proper context. And we do that by reviewing what came before this. This passage follows Paul's explanation of a hardening put on Israel so that the gospel could be spread to the Gentiles. And so, with the Gentiles being brought in to the gospel and into salvation, there was a tendency for them to have this kind of air of pride about themselves. They saw the Israelites as the people who rejected Christ. And so if the Gentiles were smart enough or wise enough or good enough to accept Christ, well, that must mean that they are better than the Jews. Well, of course, that's not the case. That's much of what Paul has been explaining in this letter to both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews are not better because they were given the law of God because they broke the law of God and the Gentiles weren't better because they accepted Christ because not all of them accepted Christ and they benefit from the law that was given to the Israelites. And for both groups, 
It is only by grace through faith that they are saved anyway. And so that is the context that leads into this passage. Paul tells them to picture an olive tree and that some of the branches were broken off and that other wild branches were grafted in. That tree is Israel, the true Israel, not just ethnic Israel. And so with their rejection of Jesus, many Israelites are broken off of the tree and the Gentiles, the wild olive branches, are grafted in. They become part of the true Israel. But in order for them not to become arrogant, Paul reminds them of two things. First, that they benefit from the roots of the tree. Here, Paul is referencing the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith. And the Old Covenant, it is through these that the tree is nourished. And it makes sense then why some of the branches are broken off from the tree. If this tree is to represent the true Israel, and there are Israelites who have rejected Christ, then yeah, they're going to be broken off because they don't believe. And with the Gentiles now grafted into this tree, they are nourished by the root of this faith which comes through the Old Covenant and the example of faith from the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And second, Paul warns them that their arrogance could go on to show that they, are, that they too are not part of the true Israel and that they could be broken off from the tree just like the Israelites who rejected Jesus. They were to be humble and recognize that they were saved by the loving grace of God and not by their own wits or whatever they might have thought that put them above the Israelites. And to hammer this home, Paul in verse 20 says that they should not be proud, but instead fear. Now for those who have spent a lot of time in churches, we often think of fear as a bad thing. And it can be, certainly. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But we often paint in such a broad stroke that when it comes to fear, that we negate and ignore the direct command from Scripture about where we are to properly place our fear. You'll often hear pastors speak of the fear of the Lord and how we should fear God. And they'll say things like, oh, it just means reverence. It means to revere him. We're just supposed to revere God, which means we have a great respect for him. And that's partially true, but that's also not what this word means. The word in the Greek literally means to be terrified. And so when I am terrified of something, I am in a way offering a great respect to that thing because I recognize the power that it has over me. And so when we look at this example Paul provided where he outlines the severity God has towards those who reject Christ and the kindness he has towards those who have faith, that should scare the crap out of us. There is a real element of fear, of genuine terror that I have when I think about God, about the power he has, the holiness he has, and my place within all of that. I don't know how you can even get a glimpse of a teaspoon of God's holiness and not have that response. And we use that fear to keep us from being prideful and also to remind us of the kindness of God. Paul says that those who have been cut off from the tree, the Israelites who initially rejected Christ, are still able to be grafted in if they do not continue in their unbelief. God's kindness extends still to the Jews who reject him. He is willing to graft them in if they would simply place their faith in him. Now, there's one thing I think people read into this passage that I simply, I just don't see it. And that's the theological idea that you can lose your salvation. 
And I, I see what they're reading, and but I just don't think that's what Paul is saying. They will see phrases like, you too will be cut off after they've already been grafted in. And they assume, oh, Paul is talking about salvation in this tree. If you're in this tree, you are saved and you can be broken off, put back in, broken off, put back in, and so on and so forth. But I just don't think that's what Paul means here. I think in this passage, Paul is speaking corporately of the Jews and the Gentiles. He is not, like we saw in Romans 8, 9, and 10, speaking of individual faith and salvation. He is using the analogy of the olive tree to show that in a large way, the Jews were hardened. And that's what we read in the last episode. And so they were broken off of this tree. And in their place, the Gentiles are grafted in. We must be careful to not let the analogy speak to more than what is intended. Paul is using this grafted analogy to paint a, a visual picture for his audience about the hardening of Israel. And that the same can happen to the Gentiles. He is not speaking of the non-permanency of salvation. If he were, he would be contradicting his own words in the same letter, where he says that we were adopted into the family of God in Romans 8. And the culture would have understood that reference of adoption as being permanent. And they also would have understood the analogy that, that Paul was offering here. And so if it didn't mean that for them, then it can't mean something different for us. And so I just wanted to offer some clarity on that before we wrap up chapter 11, because I think it is important for us to keep this passage in its context, which means that other parts of the letter must speak into it and remain consistent for our interpretation. But let's pick up at verse 25 and read through 32 to have Paul flesh out this concept a little more. So starting at verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Okay, again, it is important to remember the context. <laughs> In these first few verses, Paul is reiterating what we already see. Partial hardening on the people of Israel so that the, Gent so that the Gentiles may be awakened to the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we come to verse 28. And this is where context is key. Because similar words are used, but the context has shifted from individuals to corporate groups. In Romans 8 and 9 and through parts of 10, Paul is speaking of individual salvation. This is how a specific person is saved. Through God's sovereign choice in that person's life and through God's grace bestowed on that individual person. And then as a result of the faith of that individual person, they are granted adoption into salvation through Christ. But at the end of chapter 10, and especially at the beginning of chapter 11, we see Paul shift from individuals to the corporate groups of Jews and Gentiles. He starts speaking in 
broader terms. And this is what helps us properly interpret the olive tree analogy. And this is also what helps us interpret what Paul is speaking of here in terms of enemies and election. Paul is saying that at this present time, at the time he's writing that letter, Israel is an enemy of the gospel for the sake of the Gentile. Meaning that because Israel has rejected Christ, the gospel was spread to the Gentiles. Now, what Paul does not mean is that every single Jew rejected Christ and is an enemy of the gospel. If he meant that, then he would be speaking about himself too. Remember, Paul was like as Jewish as you could get. So if he says Israel is an enemy of the gospel, and he means that to be applied to every single individual Israelite, he would be including himself. So obviously, that's not what he meant. And then Paul says that while Israel is an enemy of the gospel right now, at the time of that letter, they are elect or chosen by God. And so God will show mercy on them, even though they are presently disobedient, just as the Gentiles were shown mercy when they were disobedient. And so it is in this context of corporate categories, Jew and Gentile, that we can properly interpret what Paul means by calling the Israelites elect. Just like he was not saying that every Israelite was an enemy of the gospel, he is not saying that every single Israelite would be saved because they are elect. Paul here is saying that Israel is still a chosen people, and he is not rejecting them even though they've rejected him. He will continue to show mercy and draw them to himself. And that helps us interpret the all found in verse 32. Paul says that God consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Again, Paul is not saying that every single person will be shown mercy and thus every single person will be saved. The all here has a specific context. All doesn't mean every single person on the face of the earth throughout all history. All means both Jew and and Gentile. Those are the categories Paul has been speaking about to his audience. And he's saying that God isn't going to save just the Jews. He includes the Gentiles too. And he's saying that God has not rejected the Jews. He's going to continue offering the gospel to them and he will draw his people to himself. So hopefully that brings some clarity to that. But let's wrap up chapter 11 here by reading verses uh, 33 through 36 and see how Paul wraps up this section. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. All right, so it is at this point that Paul begins to wrap up this section on Israel, and he closes in the same way that all of our theology should eventually lead us toward the praise of God. Paul writes a doxology, which just means it's a, it's a passage or praise to God. And in his conclusion of God's plan for salvation for individuals and God's plan for the corporate groups of the Israelites and the Gentiles, Paul praises God. He praises God by quoting from the books of Isaiah and Job to show that God is good and wise and righteous in everything that he does. And that's, that should be a signal for us. Our theology must point to God and God alone for glory. 
if our theology begins to steer the spotlight from God and make much of us and less of him, we have an issue with our theology. The doxology at the end of our studies and speeches and teachings and messages should be directed at God and not us. He alone deserves all praise for his work in our lives. And so I hope the conclusion of Romans 11 does that for you as well. I hope that you are able to read this chapter and see God's hand so evidently throughout each verse, working each and every aspect from the corporate categories of Israelite and Gentile all the way down to your and my salvation. In and through all of that, God is working for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. But hey, maybe... Maybe you disagree. Maybe there's something in here. I mean, this is a weird passage. So maybe there's stuff about the olive tree and the grafting and how that does relate to salvation. Maybe that's your opinion. Uh, maybe you see that differently. If, if so, I would love to hear from you. Let's let's hash it out. Let's discuss it. Let's dig into it. Um, I would love to hear from you and, and continue this discussion because especially this chapter, uh, the section of this chapter is not often discussed. And so it's worth sitting with and breaking down and going over and over and over again. So that again, just like in this doc, we can point more praise to God. But as always, thank you for tuning in. May God bless you, and I will see you soon.